Well, welcome everyone to Community Christian. My name is Ed Martin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're honored that you came to be with us today. Uh, we're in week two of a series we're calling I Can Relate, and really this is a bigger part of our study of what's been called commonly the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous teaching. And if you ever want to know where Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, is found, it's in a little letter written by an eyewitness of Jesus called Matthew, and it's in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of this letter from Matthew about the life of Jesus. Now, what we're looking at in this I Can Relate is how Jesus' most famous teaching applies to our relationship. And last week, Nathan kicked us off by talking about uh, the damage that can be done when we have judgment in our relationships. And Jesus said to us, do not judge. Well, today, I want to talk to you about the very next couple of sentences that Jesus has in this teaching, and they relate to the same thing, but in a little bit different light. Uh, it's an illustration he uses. I want to give you the illustration. I want to read it to you, and then I want us to talk together about how it applies. So first, let me read to you exactly what Jesus had to say. Here's what he said. When you, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, while all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, when you, when you look about the world and you think about the world, you can really divide the world in, into, into two groups. There is me, and then there is you. There, or as I'm calling it, all... Y'all. So there's me, and then there's all of y'all. Now, which of these two groups am I responsible for? Well, it's me. Which group am I not responsible for? It's you. Which set of problems in these two groups am I responsible for? They're mine. Which set of problems am I not responsible for? They're yours. Okay, that's the end of the message. And what I'm getting at is, in this teaching, Jesus really isn't all that subtle. He's pretty clear. There are my faults, and then there are everybody else's faults. And when I think about those two groups, I, my faults are the ones I'm responsible for. They're the ones that I have control over. They're the ones that I should be able to see so clearly. They're my faults. But when he comes right down to it, the ones that I have a tendency to focus on are your faults. I see your problems with such high clarity, even to the point that I see yours and I can't see mine at all. In Jesus' language, it would be like, plank? What plank? What are you talking about? But I can see that speck you have in your eye with crystal clarity. Jesus wants to talk to us about this. I love this little card that I saw some time ago. It says, I didn't say it was your, you were wrong. I said I was going to blame you. I love that. Do you know what my problem is? Well, my problem is my dad. My problem is my spouse. My problem is my kids. My problem, my problem is my marriage. My, or my problem is my lack of marriage. My problem is my job or my lack of job. My problem, well, my problem is all y'all. My problem is all the people that are around me. This is the plank. And the problem with the plank is, the problem is, it's me. I cannot see my own problem when I'm blaming and looking at other people and judging and avoiding and it damages my relationships when I avoid responsibility for my own life. Sometimes, 
Sometimes we can go through our whole life and we can look everywhere else around us and we can fail to see that the problem in my world, it's, it's me. And I know you get it. I know you understand what I'm talking about because some of you already at this point are thinking, oh, no, man, I wish that someone, someone needs to really hear this. You've thought of somebody that needs to be here to hear what we're going to talk about. And the good news I have for you is they're here because this is for you. You are the person that needs to hear this. Because this thing of blaming and failing to take responsibility for our own lives, it's, it starts when we're really young. There's a story about a mom and a dad, and they, they want to make clear to their son how good God is and how he's created such a great place for us to live in. And so one day they're talking to him when he's real little, and they say to him, hey, who made the sun? God did. Who made the stars? God did. Who made the trees? God did. Who made you? God did. Who made Big Bird? God did. Then on another day, the, the, the mom is in the little boy's room. She walks in and she sees toys everywhere and a mess everywhere. And she said, who made this mess? The little boy says, God did. See, this thing of finding fault in other people, it starts when we're children. Where do my children learn to blame other people? Well, it certainly didn't come from me. That, that must be my wife's side of the family. Maybe you've heard of the great prayer, the, the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. For our purposes today, there, there's another version of the serenity prayer that I think is vitally more important for relationships. It goes like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, and the wisdom to know that that one is me. Today, today, today I want us to go at the plank. And maybe even as I'm talking today that God will be gracious enough, which I know he wants to, that God would help you identify what the plank is that we often can't see. And maybe you'd even have the courage to write it down. One of the benefits of uh, at ashleyparkchurch.com, the, the notes we have for these messages is that you not only see where I'm at in the message and what I'm talking about, but there are places where you can hit a button and you can take a note. And here's my challenge for you today is that you start right now. You start asking God, God, show me my plank. Show me my problem. And when you do, you just write it down. And then when you put your email address in at the bottom of that and you hit submit, it'll get emailed just to you. No one else will see it, but you'll have a record of what God was gracious enough to show you today. See, when Jesus calls for us to focus on the plank in our eye, he's calling us to, to take responsibility for our life, to, to own up what, to what is ours. He's reflecting a very deep thing that God has made in human beings from the beginning. In the very beginning of the Bible, we're told about God, and we're given this poetic look at how he creates the world. And it says that God created man godlike. He, God blessed man. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible. Take care of the fish in the sea and the birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Be responsible for that. God made human beings to be responsible, to have responsibility. In fact, it is a godlike thing stamped inside of every human being to live with this responsibility. See, one of the things that we've been learning in this series is that you have a little kingdom that God gave you a little dominion, that there's a little dominion that you're a king over. And, of course, it starts with your body and what you do and 
what happens during the day that I get a chance to, to choose what happens in my world. God has given me charge over my body and what happens inside of me. When, when we're actually living in our responsibilities, we're, we're happier when we're owning our responsibilities and taking care of what God has asked us to take care of. This is a part, this is a part of what Jesus has been teaching us to live in. To live in our kingdom and to unite our kingdom with God's kingdom, live in his power and presence. How will you spend your time today? Well, you decide. How will you treat the people that are around you today? You decide. What's your attitude going to be today? You decide. What thoughts are you going to fill your mind with today? You get to decide that. Everything in my life, in my little dominion, I get to control. What will happen in my life, it's, it's up to me. So God gives people responsibility. and He places them in this world that he beautifully designed for us to live in and have dominion. And he said to them, there's just one rule. There's just one thing I don't want you to do. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But if you know, of course, the story... The first man and woman do. And then God comes to the man and he says to him, Have you eaten what I commanded you not to eat? Have you eaten from the tree I asked you not to? And the man said, The woman that you put there, she gave it me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now, God asked Adam a really simple question. It's a yes or no question. Did you, did you eat what I commanded you not to eat? But Adam instead begins with an excuse. He, he says, it was the woman. She had the fruit. She gave it to me, and I ate it. So ultimately, it's on her. And ultimately, God, it's the woman you gave me. So ultimately, my problems in life are, are at least her, but probably they're on you. God, you've made the world in such a way that I can't do what I need to. It's not my fault. It's her fault. And it might even be your fault, God. Adam could have answered. He could have said, it's my bad. I, I own it. But instead, he looks for someone to blame. He throws Eve under the bus, and ultimately he turns on God. And Eve, she quickly does the same thing. She looks for somebody else to blame. She turns, and there becomes this chaos in relationship. Now, do you think that Adam and Eve are the last two people in a relationship that have ever blamed somebody else for their problem? Not by a long, long shot. Before I got old enough to realize that I was really bad at counseling, I would actually try to counsel people. You know, you have to have empathy to counsel people, and empathy was something I had to learn and grow in. I didn't have much in the beginning. And so often when you are trying to counsel people, you find out pretty quickly that the person you need to be counseling is seldom in the room with you. Uh, what I mean by that is that Often in counseling, somebody will come in and they'll be talking about a problem that they have, but quickly, as they're talking about the problem, the problem it shifts from the problem they're having to somebody else that they want to blame for the problem. And I would, back in the day, listen to this for a while, and then I would quickly say to people, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Your mom was a monster. I understand that. I, I get that. Your wife is crazy. Your kids are stupid. I get all of those things. Mom is a monster. Your wife is crazy. Your kids are stupid. I understand everything you're saying. And then I'd take a sheet of paper and I would pull it off my desk. And when I got the sheet of paper off of my desk, I would try to draw for them a, a circle. And I would say, let's take this circle and let's let it represent all the problem that you came in here to talk to me about. And I get already 
It's about something else. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this pen and I want you to draw for me what part of this chaos in relationship is your responsibility. What part is this? And they would start in and they would begin, well, are you saying that it's all my fault? And they go, no, 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 I get it. Your mom's a monster, wife's crazy, kids are stupid. I heard you. What I want to know is what part of this is your responsibility? And then generally, they would draw maybe a small piece of the thing and they'd go, this is me. But you know what's even more important? Most people I found, they couldn't even draw that. They just continue to focus and look outside of them. They just continue to point at somebody else. You know why? Because blaming, it's addictive. It's a form of addiction that just becomes, I mean, looking at the speck in somebody else's eye and thinking somehow it's the problem in your life is just so addicting. And the addiction leads to the point, I can't even see my own problem. This is the pie of responsibility. And this, this is a really good pie. You can see it in almost every area of your life. This, this shows up in your marriage, and it shows up at your work, and it shows up with your kids, and it shows up in every relationship you have. And if you focus, if you focus, if you focus on your life, if you focus on your part of the the pie, if you begin to own responsibility for your part in the relational problem, your prayers will change and you will begin to pray, God, change me. God, work in me. God, grow me. You'll begin to take it back into your kingdom and your dominion. And you know what will happen? Over time, over time, your kingdom will increase and your dominion will increase. And God, God so badly wants that. On the other hand, if you continue to focus on the other person, if you focus on, hey, here's what they're doing wrong and here's, here's what they need to fix. And if you continue to assign blame on everybody else, again, it could be in your marriage, it could be at work, it could be the reason you don't enjoy what you do, it could be with your kids and why they won't get in control. It could be when you focus on the problems that you have, what you'll notice is your problems grow and your sense of control goes down and your resentment toward the other person and the people around you of all the people that are your problems in the world, they get to the point that eventually you don't feel like you even have your own life. See, blame is it's counterproductive. Blame wastes energy. Blame spoils relationships. Blame poisons family. Blame destroys workplace. It, it undermines everything good that wants to happen in your life. And, and here's the truth about me. I can fail to live in gratitude. I can fail to live with energy and excitement. I can fail to live thinking about what God has given me. I can fail to live in you uniting with God in his work in the world and say that I can live in the power and presence of God in my kingdom, in my dominion. God wants to be a part of it. And instead, I can talk about how the problems are there. And there's somebody else. And what somebody else is forcing into my life. I can fail to live in this at every moment. And you can fall into that place again. But when I take responsibility for my life, I live in the kingdom of God and God moves in and begins to help me in my life. And part of God's plan when I unite with him is that I move, unite my kingdom with his great big kingdom where he already has a plan to bring all things back to restoration. 
to restore everything to the way it's supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean that I approve of injustice. That doesn't mean that I accept, that I ignore the fact that I've been abused or that there are horrible actions that other people are taking place in the world. It doesn't mean that I don't have a disease that I can't control or I didn't ask for. What I'm actually doing is I'm joining my kingdom such as it is with the great big kingdom of God. And God is at work in his kingdom to restore every bad thing if I will own my responsibility for me. There was a brilliant thinker uh, who just died a few years ago. His name was Rene Girard, and he converted to Christianity later in life. And the way he converted was he, he studied the, the ancient practice of scapegoating and blaming. He noticed the damage that blame and pointing responsibility to other people, the damage that it did in cultures and nations and societies. He said, all people, all societies, all cultures, there's this custom of scapegoating. And what he meant by scapegoating is this practice where you look at somebody or some group and you point to them and you say, all of the problems that I have are on that group. A nation will look at a group of people and say, if we could just get them right, if we could fix them, it's them that's putting their problems on us. And he says, it's a way that a whole country, a whole group of people will take their anger and their resentment and their rivalry that... Is really their responsibility, but they'll shift it to somebody else. They, they scapegoat them. So a kid in school doesn't look like everybody else or doesn't talk like everybody else or he's not athletic, he's a little bit clumsy. And everybody makes fun of him. Nobody votes on it. But somebody, oh, everybody in the class knows who the scapegoat is. Often in dysfunctional families, in fact, almost always in a dysfunctional family, there is somebody who bears the weight of the family, of all the problems in the family. They get the blame for the family. They're the one that keep us from treating right. Of course, they become the problem so that mom and dad don't have to look at the dysfunction that they have created in the family. Gerard says it happens in nations all the time. For Hitler, the problem was the Jews, and they were illegal, and they, they were the problem. If we could just settle the Jews, everything would be okay. For Stalin, it was the dissidents. You take all of your national hatred, and you put it on one group of people. Now, in the Old Testament, Gerard noticed that when God, he made this agreement with the nation of Israel to, de to deliver the, the promised king of the whole world to them, he, he made that agreement with Israel that that would be their story, that God also adopted this ancient practice of the scapegoat. On the Day of Atonement, God had said, uh, take this animal, this, this goat, and have the priest come and put his hands on the head of the goat and he would pray on the goat and he would lay on the head of the goat all the sins of the nation of Israel and then they would send the goat outside of the people as a way of saying that God had removed the sins from the people. They had been taken away and that they were free before God. Now, that practice God had placed into a goat. And all other uh, tribes and people of the ancient world, Gerard noticed that they, they did this with humans, that it was a human sacrifice. It was a, a child often, or it was a perfect young virgin who she was brought in. The, the sins of the tribe or the sins of the people were placed on them, and they would kill this human being as a way to appease their gods, as a way of taking all the chaos in their culture, in their tribe, and somehow that would appease God. And we see it at work in the old story in the Bible that God, he began to notice, the idea is that God would heal the community. But even in the Bible, we notice that what happens is God puts a change on it. There's an old story in the Bible of Cain and Abel, and uh, 
Cain, unlike his brother Abel, he doesn't bring the right sacrifice to God. He doesn't do the proper sacrifice. And when God calls it out to him, instead of just admitting that he did it wrong and then making the right kind of sacrifice, he scapegoats his problems onto his brother and he kills him. But what Gerard noticed is that in the, in the Bible, unlike in other societies, what happened was God identified with the scapegoat. God, when the stories were told, God was always the one that he gave favor to the scapegoat. He said about Abel, the blood of Abel cries out against you. Your brother cries out against you. There's a story where there's another brother. His name is Joseph, and his other brothers take him because they hate him. They're jealous of him, of how much his father loves him. And they take their jealousy, and they take the sin of their father's favoritism, and they place it on Joseph, and they send him away. But God is with Joseph. Gerard notices that God begins to take this ancient practice and he begins to undermine it. He begins to identify with the victim until it all comes to a head when Israel's agreement with God brings to pass the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. Jesus does no wrong. He is utterly blameless. He's the sinless one who comes to the world and he teaches about God and all the powers at work in our world because this is the way our world works. The religious leaders and the political leaders, they all come against Jesus and they all decide he is their problem. Better for one man to die than for the whole nation to be destroyed. And they make Jesus the scapegoat. This one man who had come to tell them about God, he's now the problem. And the one man that could have let him go, Pontius Pilate, when Jesus is brought before him, he publicly comes and he washes his hands of Jesus and he said, this man's blood is not on me. This is not my fault. That's the way we do. We want to act like we're innocent. But of course, in this story, no one is innocent. Well, except for Jesus. And on the cross, as they put Jesus to death, Jesus lays bare the mechanism and the evil and all that is going on in this pra practice of scapegoating. And he says, it says of him, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. In Christ's great love, he absorbs all the sin. He absorbs all the hatred. He absorbs all the wickedness of the world upon himself in the cross. He pays the price. He makes atonement. He becomes the great scapegoat that he makes a way that we can be made right with God. He makes atonement. He pays the ransom. He makes us, brings us back in some mysterious way to God. And we are forgiven and made one with God. And in our forgiveness, he says, and now you can forgive. You have the power to forgive. This is why in the Jesus community, everyone is welcome precisely because there's no one who's perfect. So how do we practice this in his kingdom, in God's kingdom this week? This week, I invite you to say, I'm going to go after the plank. I'm going to go after my problem instead of look at the speck everybody else has had. And see, the plank is a spirit of condemnation that happens all around us. It could be somebody's ethnicity or somebody's age. Or it could be a problem that they have. It could be their political views that you look at and say, that's the problem with me in our world. I've noticed in churches, my whole time of doing churches, the problem has been 
people divide over age and the way they do things. It's happened all the time and even now working with churches that are dying because they're getting older and I'll try to talk to them and they'll talk about, well, it's the young people and the young people come in and they'll come in and they'll look around and go, why do they have to wear jeans? Why do they have to have tattoos? What's with all the beards? And underneath all of that is this idea of, why can't they be more like me? And you talk to young people in the church and the young people come in and they see old people and they're like, why do they have to be so grumpy? Why do they have to be so wrinkly? Why do they have to be so technologically challenged? And of course, underneath that is, why can't they be more like me? And if you're wondering whether you're older or you're younger, you're older. See, this thing that this week that we have is we just have this thing in us that we, we have to give up trying to straighten other people out. I heard somebody say once, if if you really want to just straighten people out, you should probably just work in the funeral home because when you straighten them out in the funeral home, they stay straightened out. But everywhere else, people don't like to be straightened out and they tend to revert. This week, we, you, me, we just need to give up the practice of straightening out. This week, our practice is I take responsibility for me. I own my own life. I own my part I focus on my part of the pie. I work on me. Instead of automatically looking at everything and getting defenses or trying to justify or to make excuses or step back and we just say, God help me. God change me. God use me. Change my habits. Change the way I do. Change the patterns. These attitudes, the problem is it's me, Lord. It's me. It's me. I'm the one that needs to change. Jesus is right. The problem... The problem isn't that we just look at other people and we judge them. The problem is that by doing that, I can't see that my problem is me. So we need, we need, because I can't see, I need outside help to get that done. I need outside help to help me see what I can't see. In the old language, what I need is I need conviction of sin brought to my life, which is what... As a gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will bring to my life. He will show me where I need to change. There's a guy named Charlie Steinmetz, I think is how you say his name. He was an electrical engineer of the early 20th century. In fact, he is the guy most responsible for alternating current that runs through this building, every building you're in, and all around our world to run the things that we, that we love. He, he's one of the p- people most responsible for that. Well... At one point in Steinmetz's life, there's a story told that Henry Ford, who was another great innovator of the early 20th century, uh, he has a problem in one of his Ford plants. Of He's got an electric generator that's just not working right, and everything he has on his staff, he can't, he can't get it to work right. So eventually he calls this genius, Charlie Steinmetz, and he asks him to come out and to look at this generator and to try to figure it out. And Steinmetz comes, he, he takes the trip, he comes to the plant, and basically for two days he just sits and he watches the generator run. He watches it and he just sits and he looks. And then at the end of the second day he takes a piece of chalk, he walks over to the generator, he climbs a ladder, he gets up on the ladder and when he goes to one spot he marks an X. He tells the people in the plant to remove the panel and behind that to take 16 wraps of wire and to rewrap the coil at that particular point. They do and it fixes the problem. Well, Henry Ford is just thrilled with that. Simons goes away, and he comes back, 
uh, and he later sends Henry Ford a bill, and the bill is for $10,000. Now, $10,000 is a lot to me, even in our day, but in their day, in the early part of the 20th century, this was an enormous amount of money. And Ford is just floored by what he saw, because all he did was sit for two days, and then he marked with a piece of chalk, and he says, I'd like an itemization of that bill. So Steinmetz took back, and he itemized the bill, and it only had two items. It was $1 for marking a spot with a, an X with a piece of chalk. $9,999 for knowing where to put the mark. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you can't see and what you will probably won't hear from anybody else. He knows exactly where to put the X in your life. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your sarcasm. Maybe it's a relationship because of that. Your life is not working right. There is chaos in and around your relationships. And the problem is you, and you can't see it, and you don't even know why. This is the human condition. The psalmist says of us, but who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. See, that's the plank I didn't notice. And if we'll invite him, if we'll invite him, if we'll say the Holy Spirit will come in and he will put an X at the place that you and I need to change. Here's what you need to change. Here's what needs to shape in your life. Here's what you need to focus on. And at that point, if you will go at it, with God's help, you can change. So this week, this week, I'll give you the best of all relational prayers. Lord, change me. It's not, Lord, change her, change him, change them. It's, Lord, change me. Change what's in my life. It's, Lord, change my attitude. Lord, change this pattern of behavior in my life. Lord, change my sarcasm around my spouse. Lord, change the way that I'm constantly nagging my kids. Lord, change the negative tone in my voice. Lord, change the envy that I feel toward people that leaks out in every place around me. Lord, change my defensive spirit. Lord, change this stubborn streak. Lord, show me. Show me where the X needs to be in my life. This week, our work is all about the plank and the speck. And while everybody else in our world goes after the speck, you and I, with God's help, we're going to go after the plank. Let's bow together and I'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you and for your good son Jesus to remind us of how important it is we own responsibility for our lives. Father, I pray right now, by the power of your Spirit, you will have already been revealing to us the place that the X needs to be in our life, what you need to change, what we need to allow you to do, what we need to own that we need to take steps to change. Thank you for your love for us, that when we join our little kingdom, what we control with your kingdom, you begin to restore all things. Father, restore us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.